Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. In his temple, all cry glory. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all peoples see his glory. Who is God? That's God. What is he like? That's what our God is like. Is he a force? Is he just a force out there? Is he the man upstairs? Is he one option among many? Is he just our heavenly grandfather who likes to give us nice things if we can just figure out the right right way to ask him for them? Is he something that we believe in just to help us get by? Is he a crutch, emotional crutch that we, you know, religion helps me. I believe in God because it makes me feel better. Is he weak? Can he not control the weather? When he saw Katrina coming, did he say, oh no, I wish I could do something about it, but I sure can't. Is he someone we can pull something over on? We can, we can trick him. We can wait till he's not looking and then do things behind his back before he turns around again and he'll that be none the wiser. Will he ignore sin and focus on making us happy? Does he exist just for us? The answer is no. He is the king of glory. He is the Lord, strong and mighty. He is glorious. He is holy. He created the world. His voice is powerful, and with it he can shake the world, and he could destroy it. He is king forever. 
All the earth should fear him. All the inhabitants of the earth should stand in awe of him. That's who God is. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. God is righteous. There is no evil in him. He is completely good. He defines good. If God says this is good, it is. And if God says this is not good, it is not. He defines good because he is the great king, king of all, this righteous God who is completely good, will not ignore evil. God is just. He judges fairly. He does not ignore evil and he does not take bribes. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Deuteronomy 10.17 says, The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. If God is righteous, he cannot be bribed. He is always fair and always just. Then we should expect that God will give you and will give me exactly what we deserve. So what do we deserve? Well, God, who is perfect, demands that we be perfect. He commands you to love him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. God requires our complete allegiance. No one and nothing is allowed to come between us and him. He demands to be our number one priority 100% of the time. And as you focus on him, he commands you to love your neighbor as yourself. You, if you are going to obey God, must love others as much as you love yourself. You must consider them to be as valuable as you consider yourself. Their happiness, their safety, their well-being must be important to you as your own. Jesus said that those two commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, sum up all other commands of God. All the don'ts, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, don't misuse God's name, don't murder, don't worship idols. Did I say that? Um, all of the don'ts and all of the do's. Do honor your father and your mother. Do keep... Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Do rejoice in the Lord. Do glory in his holy name. All of the don'ts and all of the do's are summed up and covered by the command to love God most and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So then my question again is, what do we deserve? What do you deserve? Do you love God more than yourself? Do you love God more than anything or anyone else? Do you love him at all times? Perfectly? Always? What about your neighbor? Do you love him or her the way that you love yourself? Or is there envy in your heart? Do you look down on anyone? Have you ever hated anyone or actually injured someone in anger? Have you ever lied about or lusted after or disobeyed or dishonored 
or stolen from or gossiped about or humiliated or misled anyone? Do you meet God's requirement that you be perfect as he is perfect? In the book of Psalms, King David said to God, Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Romans 3, 10 through 18. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom, of, the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. That means that when someone sins, when you sin, you earn something for that sin. And what you earn for any sin is death. The just and fair reward for anything less than perfect obedience to God's perfect laws is death. And that sounds bad enough, but it doesn't stop there. It's not just physical death. God has prepared a place of eternal torment for those who break his law by putting anything before him and failing to love others as themselves. Hell is a very real place prepared for those who disobey God, those who by their disobedience have become enemies of God. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. I read a little bit ago. So ask yourself, what do I deserve? In light of God's law and his standard of perfection, do I deserve heaven or do I deserve hell? If you're willing to be honest, you'll have to admit that based on God's standard and his law, you and I and everyone else deserves to go to hell. And so, as sinners condemned by the righteous King of glory, you and I have no hope in and of ourselves. We cannot be perfect, and we cannot pay God back for the sins we have already committed. God is a fair and just God who cannot be bribed, so there's no way we're going to figure out a way that we can trick him into overlooking these things or, or pay him off. When we realize the seriousness of our situation, we have only one option open to us. We must come to God empty-handed, realizing that we have absolutely nothing that we can bring with us to the bargaining table. And we must cry out desperately, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Turn with me to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is a psalm written by David, a man who, like us, sinned greatly and deserved death and hell for his sin. Psalm 32, verses 1, part of verse 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. 
God forgives sin. God counts no iniquity. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? But all have sinned. All have all have sinned against God. The wages of sin is death. So who then can be saved? With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. As far as it depends on you or I, there is nothing we can do to earn salvation. With man, this is impossible. Jesus said that. With man, this is impossible. Did you catch the next part? With God, all things are possible. You can do nothing to earn salvation. You cannot pay the price for your sin. And you do not have to. God has made the impossible possible. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. 2,000 years ago, God sent his perfect, sinless son, Jesus, into the world. Jesus took the form of a servant, being born as a man. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was fully God, and he became fully man. Still today in heaven, he is fully God and fully man. He was tempted in every way, every respect as we are, and yet he was without sin. Jesus always completely obeyed his Father's command to love God and neighbor. He never sinned, not even once. And when the religious leaders conspired to kill him and succeeded in getting the Roman government To execute him on a cross, they murdered an innocent man. Something more happened on that cross than just an unjust execution. God was carrying out a plan that he had before the foundation of the world. Before he created the world, God had purposed to save sinful, undeserving people from death and hell and through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, on that cross. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like wandering sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned the way that we wanted to go, turned away from God, and went our own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. We deserve God's full wrath for our sinful disobedience. We deserve death and eternal suffering. Jesus deserved, what did Jesus deserve? Jesus deserved all glory and honor and praise and everything you could possibly get for living a perfect life in full obedience to God the Father. He is God in all. All honor is due him. But God placed our sin, our iniquity, on Jesus and punished him in our place. The Bible says that it was the Lord's will to crush Jesus and cause him to suffer, to make his life an offering to take away sin. Jesus lived a perfect life and died for sinners. He took the punishment that I deserved He took the punishment that you deserved, and in doing so, he satisfied God's wrath. He paid the price for our sins and so defeated sin and death. Therefore, God raised him up 
on the third day. Why did he rise from the dead? Because he had conquered death. How could he conquer death? Because he had done away with the penalty for sin. Therefore, God raised him up on the third day. He really was dead. And now he really is alive. Here's the great news. Call it the good news. It is good. It's great. If you come to the point where you understand that you need to be saved from the consequences of your sin and from sin itself, it is a trap, it is a slave master. If you come to the point where you realize you need to be saved from that, and if you believe that Jesus experienced God's wrath in your place, and if you will admit your sinfulness and your helplessness to God, reject your sin, and follow Jesus as your master, you will be forgiven. God will forgive your sin, and you will, you will not undergo the eternal punishment that you deserve. Not only that, God not only purposed before the foundation of the world to save sinners from eternal punishment, but to adopt them and give them an inheritance. If you trust Christ, God will adopt you and give you an inheritance. Because Jesus defeated death, if you trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you will inherit eternal life with eternal purity and eternal pleasure. In Psalm 32, David tells us, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Blessed means truly happy. It means to be in a good situation. There is no greater happiness than that of a condemned man, someone on death row, who is expecting and deserving to die, who is suddenly set free, and cleared of all charges. There is no better situation than that of being completely forgiven and having all the charges against you dropped and your slate wiped clean. No one's going to come after you at this point because the charges are no more. It's not like someone will find them later and bring them up. They're gone. The slate is wiped clean. There's only one way to experience this true happiness, this blessedness, to be forgiven by God. We see in these verses that when a person trusts in Jesus Christ for salvation, God forgives completely. God forgives this person's transgressions. It says he forgives this person's transgressions. He covers his sin and he does not count his iniquity. David describes sin using three different words, transgression, sin, and iniquity. Um, Some people have tried to use those to you know, you, I could go and tell you the, the little variations of each of those things and what, what they mean that's different from each other. But the point that David is doing is he's saying when we're talk, what David is talking about here is all kinds of sin. Every manner of sin that you could ever commit is covered by those three words. It's a poetic way of saying all sin. God's forgiveness is described in three different ways too. It says that he forgives. Literally, that means to lift away. God lifts away our sin. He covers it. He lifts it away and he covers it up. God covered our sin in the death of his son. And God does not count those, God does not count sins against those who trust in Christ. He, He has already counted them against Jesus. He will not count them against those who are saved by trusting Christ. By using these three different descriptions of God's forgiveness, David is emphasizing that God forgives all our sin and he forgives it completely. 
The one who is forgiven, according to verse 2, is the... Is it verse... It is verse 2. Is the one in whose spirit there is no deceit. God knows your heart. He will not forgive you unless you are sincere and honest about wanting his forgiveness. The woman who asks Jesus into her heart without acknowledging her sinfulness and her desperate situation, but just to hedge her bets, just in case, praying that prayer will save her from eternity, even though she doesn't understand or believe. She's not honestly rejecting her sin, and she is not honestly following Jesus as her master and savior. The man who claims to be a believer in order to get a woman to marry him has a deceitful spirit. The Lord only forgives those who come to him with honest, humble, sincere hearts, begging for forgiveness and new life through Jesus Christ. David describes in this psalm what brought him to this humble attitude. Verses 3 through 4. He had sinned, and he describes this, what he went through as a result of that sin. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. If you are not a believer... If you have not confessed your sin to the Lord and received his forgiveness, then that should be the description of you. If it's not the description of you, it's because you're, you're, you're deluded. That is your situation if you are not a believer. Guilt is destructive. Hiding sin and refusing to admit it, stubbornly pursuing it, these attitudes and actions will burden you down spiritually, emotionally, and as David describes here, even physically. The main purpose, the reason God created human beings was so that they could glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. And when you refuse to glorify Him, this psalm says that His hand is heavy upon you. The hand of God which created the universe is pressing you down. It's no wonder that there is so much hopelessness and lethargy and despair and depression and sickness In this world, we are a world full of sinners, and many of us refuse to confess our sins to God and be forgiven. We are a world under the heavy hand of God until we confess and trust Christ. Though it took him a while to admit it, David did recognize that his anguish was caused by his sinfulness. Verse 5 says, I acknowledged my sin to you. That's to God. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Three different ways, David tells us, he confessed his sins to God. He acknowledged that he had indeed sinned against God. He did not cover up anything, but laid it all open before his judge. He he confessed that he had intentionally done what was wrong. As completely as he was able, he confessed his sin to the Lord. He held nothing back, but admitted fully his guilt before God. And God forgave the iniquity, that means the guilt, of his sin. David was looking forward to Christ's work on the cross, 
we're looking back on it. To him, it must have been somewhat of a mystery as to how God could forgive him. To us, we know that God can and will forgive all who confess their sin and trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord because Jesus has borne the wrath for our sins. Verse 6, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. If you realize that the darkness and deepness and hopelessness, if you realize the darkness and deepness and hopelessness of your sin, and if you're starting to understand that you are in danger and what kind of danger it is, and if God's Holy Spirit is working in your heart, causing you to want to turn away from sin and trust Christ, offer prayer to God while he may be found. You are in a very precious window of opportunity. You've heard that word. You have a little tiny bit of time in which you can, you must make an important choice or act, in this case, respond. The Apostle Paul wrote, We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You have only this lifetime to turn from your sins to God. If you knew how long your life was going to be, and you were the kind of person who would do this, maybe you could time your repentance for the time that was the most convenient for you. But you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Then you will die, and after that comes judgment. And at that point, there are no more chances. God, in his mercy, has allowed you to hear the gracious offer of salvation, his gracious offer of salvation. If you believe that it is true and you believe it is true for you and you understand, then offer prayer to God at this time when he may be found. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. At the moment of salvation, God's hand, which presses heavily on the unrepentant sinner, scoops up the new believer and holds him or her safe from all harm. Jesus said of his flock, that's that's his followers, My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father am one. Those who have been saved from sin do not need to fear anything else. God will protect them in the great rush of waters. This is a picture that would have made sense to them. It makes sense to some people in town here, depending on what street you live on. They had those deep valleys. When the rain came down hard, I don't know how often that happened, it filled the valleys quickly, taking people by surprise without warning, flash flooding. Um, Sometimes we have a couple of situations in the Bible where whole armies were destroyed as a flash flood ripped through a valley and... and, uh, destroyed the the army. These floods come without warning upon people. 
but nothing takes God by surprise. No sickness that you may be experiencing takes God by surprise. No injury. We injure ourselves by turning around wrong to pick something up. I've noticed the older I get, stuff like that. No injury, though it may take us completely by surprise, takes God by surprise. No attack from those who would do you in or defame you or make life difficult for you comes as a surprise to God. When the storms of life range around you and tragedy takes you by surprise, if you have trusted Christ, you do not need to be afraid. God will protect you from or he will protect you through those times of trouble. Either keep you out of them or take you through them. Even death loses its sting for a believer. Um, have you ever had a dream that you were trapped underwater? I, I used to be in swim team most of my growing up time, and uh, I dreamed about swimming a lot. I had a dream where I was under a large raft swimming in I'm sure many of you have had the dream where you can't run very fast and something is chasing you. I could not swim fast enough to get out from under the raft. And I was holding my breath and I thought that I was going to drown. And finally I could hold it no longer. And I took a breath and breathed in the water and felt the water go in. Then I took another breath. And I took another breath. And I was not drowning I was not dying because, in fact, I was only asleep. For the person who trusts Jesus Christ, I think that this must be what death is like. The Bible describes it as falling asleep. Dying Christians throughout the centuries have shown joy in the midst of suffering and even dying. God preserves and protects his children even then. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? So God protects those he forgives. And he not only protects them, but he gives them a new family. If you confess your sin to God and trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then you become part of the church. Not necessarily our local church, but part of the church, God's people. What a wonderful God. He does not leave you alone in this world, but surrounds you with shouts of deliverance. When God takes you out of your sin and the ways of the world and adopts you as his son, you become part of a delivered people. A people saved from sin and death and destined to spend eternity together in God's presence. And you can join with them singing and shouting the praises of the God who had mercy on you all and delivered you from your sin. Verses 8 through 9, God promises that once you turn from your sin to him, you are not on your own to figure out how you should live. Verses 8 and 9, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. The forgiven believer has a teacher. God himself will teach his children. He will make you understand where you should be going. That's what the word instruct means. And he will show you how to live and what to do while you are going. That's what it means to teach you in the way you should go. 
As you are in the way you should go, he will teach you along the way. He will counsel you with his eye upon you. I have a funny picture in my mind of God's eye on me, but um, it looks like that sort of... That's not what it means. He's going to pay special attention to you, and he is looking out for you. You're not ever out of his sight. God is specifically concerned about you. His eye is on the sparrow. How much more is his eye on his redeemed child? God has given believers three very precious gifts to teach, instruct, and counsel us. First, he has given us his perfect word, the Bible. Everything necessary to live a God-glorifying life, everything we need to know is in the Bible, waiting there for us to discover it. We can be taught by God through his word by reading it, by thinking about it, sometimes called meditating, by memorizing it, and by listening to it being preached. Second gift, which is given to all who truly trust Christ when they trust him, is the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is sent by God the Father, given to us by God the Son. The Holy Spirit is sent and given to us to live in us, to comfort us, to intercede for us, and to open our eyes so that we can understand and apply God's Word. Without the Holy Spirit, God's Word to, would be to us just a book, just words. It's the Holy Spirit who makes it so that when you read the, God's Word, you see, you hear through His Word Him talking to you. He opens our eyes so that we can receive God's Word and understand it. The third gift is the church. God often teaches and instructs us through others who are filled with the Holy Spirit and who can therefore explain the Bible to us, encourage us, and hold us accountable. So, when you are forgiven, you become a child of God, and you have God's instruction and teaching readily available to you. God warns you, don't be like the horse or the mule that has to be forced to obey through pain and restraint. You know how that is. Sometimes we've all experienced that. Don't be that way, God says. Always remember God's kindness and mercy. Remember what he's done for you. Obey him willingly. Put his teaching into practice with a thankful heart. Never forget or take God's forgiveness for granted. Verse 10 starts out, Many are the sorrows of the wicked. You know this is true. If you have not turned from your sin, if you have not trusted Christ, and been forgiven, then you know the sorrows of the wicked. Life is bleak in a godless world. Selfishness and pride are the principles that guide your life if you are this person more than any other, and you, if you do not know Christ. Pain and suffering without God are unexplainable, and the only sensible way to cope with pain and suffering is to delude yourself into believing that in the long run, nothing really matters anyway. Life, because what else would it be about, has to be all about you. And if you're honest, you have to admit that you really aren't all that after all. You seek pleasure, but instead you find emptiness and disappointment. You seek power, but even if you obtain it, all it leaves you wanting is more power and loving people less. 
You seek love, but you seek it from the wrong people and in the wrong ways at the wrong times, and you wind up feeling unloved and unlovable. You try to invent a God who will work with you and give you whatever it is you want, who thinks that sin is not really that big of a deal and doesn't punish sin because he knows you can't really help it. You want a God who you can manipulate and you can control, a God who gives big payouts for minimal effort. You want a God who will leave you alone most of the time, but then when you really need him, he'll, uh, he'll answer your call. You blow the help whistle and God comes back from whatever he was doing and helps you out. But the God before whom the mountains melt like wax, the one true God whom you are rejecting, the King of glory has his heavy hand on you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Do not continue to reject your Creator. Do not continue to try to hide your sin from Him. Acknowledge your sin to God and do not cover your iniquity. Make up your mind to confess your transgressions to the Lord. Trust in Jesus Christ, in His perfect life, in His death on the cross for the sins of those who trust Him, and in His resurrection life. Turn from your sin to God through faith in Jesus Christ, and God will forgive the iniquity of your sin. Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Think about that picture. The God who made the universe, who is able to destroy it with a word, will surround you with his steadfast love. His love, which will not falter or fail, surrounds you on all sides. Nothing is going to get in that he does not allow in. God is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Anything that he lets in, he's letting in for your good. You're his beloved child. It might hurt in the present, but God is using it to mature you, to train you, and to make you like Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Humble yourself before God by confessing your sinfulness and your need of forgiveness. Put your trust in the Son of God, and God will lift you up and surround you with his steadfast love. Psalm ends, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine, bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? If you have come to the end of your pride and selfishness and confessed your sinfulness and helplessness to the Lord, if you have trusted Jesus Christ to save you, 
by his perfect obedience to the Father, by his death on the cross, suffering God's wrath, which you deserved, and by his resurrection life, if your sins have been lifted off you, covered up, and will not be counted against you, then be glad. It's hard. I'm, I want to smile. I should smile. I get nervous when I'm up here. But I, I am glad for this. This is exciting. Let's be glad. If your sins have been lifted off you, rejoice. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, you upright in heart. This is good news. This is great news. News like this is not meant to be covered up and kept hidden. Don't hold it in. Joyfully and enthusiastically spread the good news of God's amazing love. I know some of you are doing that. Do it all the more. Be glad and rejoice. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Let's pray. Father, there are those here who do not know you, who think they're doing all right. Lord, please reveal to them the true state of their situation, where they are headed, what they are doing to their life, the spiritual decay that is the result of being spiritually dead, Lord. Please help them to understand that they have nothing to bring before you except a plea for mercy. Please give them the courage by your Holy Spirit, the tender heart, the new birth that will allow them to cry to you, O Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Give them faith to trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. Lord, for those here who have trusted and are undergoing storms, death, injury, illness, persecution, help us to remember that the hand which created the universe holds us safe. will not let anything but good in. Thank you that you love us, Lord. And Lord, I pray that we would be glad and we would rejoice, we would shout for joy, we would be bold to tell the good news of your great salvation and your offer of forgiveness to all we can. We come to you only through the blood, through the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ, and it is in his name we ask this, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.